Fair warning today, I will probably make everyone in here upset for one reason or another. So, <laughs> at some things I, I'm going to say, some people might get upset. At other things, other people might get upset. So just be prepared for that today. Please withhold your stones until after the service. All right. <laughs> today, uh, we're going to continue his story because um, the greatest story is his story. Right? Amen. All right. So today... What we're going to be talking about is the first miracle that Jesus did was turning, it was the marriage at Cana, uh, it was the turning water into wine. And so this is the, the first miracle that Jesus does uh, in the gospel according to John. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, there's some things that we need to know about the book of John. Um, this is important because John centers his book around seven major miracles that Jesus does. And so uh, John was one of the first disciples. Uh, we, most of us in here know that. Um, he was also the closest disciple to Christ. Uh, he's often referred to as the one that Jesus loved, right? And also, uh, he is the one that was present at the cross with Jesus's mother and Jesus uh, tells John to basically take care of his mother at the end. And so John was very, very, very close to Jesus. Uh, besides the gospel of John, uh, John also wrote three epistles uh, and the book of Revelation. Also, uh, the book of John shows Christ, this is the main aim of the book of John, he shows Christ as the Son of God. So John is focused on the divinity of Jesus. John is also the only gospel that records the various I am statements of Christ. Also this book, uh, again, is organized around these seven miracles. Uh, John later records that uh, there were many more miracles that Jesus did, but he recorded these that you may believe. And so these were uh, important miracles that the Holy Spirit impressed upon John to write about so that people would believe that Jesus is Christ. And again, something that you will hear me say many times uh, throughout this morning uh, I'm going to say this multiple times today, so don't get annoyed with me. This is an eyewitness account of the amazing things that Christ did. This is an eyewitness account. So we need to remember that as we are reading these Gospels, that these are not just stories for us to learn from. These are actual historical events that took place. Let's go ahead and pray before we open up God's Word. Dear Lord, uh, thank you for uh, this wonderful church. Uh, I pray, Lord, that uh, as we open up your word this morning, that you allow us to have a sense of wonder uh, when reading your word, Lord, and, and that just allow us to see uh, his majesty and his glory uh, as it is presented here. I pray, Lord, that as we move forward today, that you, you would keep our hearts and our minds open to what you have to teach us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So if you would, uh, open up your Bibles to John chapter 2. 
John chapter 2, and we're going to start reading at verse 1. It's not up there on the screen yet. I'm going to go through the whole passage right now, and then we'll break it up later. So if, if, if you're worried about it not being on the screen, it will be later. So, but you should have your Bibles with you, so please bring your Bibles. I've, I've thought about not having it up on the screen uh, just so that I can make sure that everyone here has their Bibles. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so John chapter 2. Uh, starting at verse 1. It says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana at Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. And they did not stay there many days. So before we break down this passage, again, some more things to understand before we even uh, try to understand what's going on here. Uh, John's purpose for writing, uh, John's purpose for recording these signs, again, it's that you may believe. That you may believe. This is recorded in John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. It says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the, this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So, first of all, when we look at this verse, uh, John plainly says that the signs that John records are not the only ones that Jesus did. But John specifically records these that you may believe. Believe what? Well, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now, John uh, repeats the Son of God. He quite often calls Jesus the Son of God throughout his gospel. That's what he's trying to portray Jesus as. And you will see the word believe here in the book of John more than the other Gospels. So John does this the most out of all of the Gospels. 
He really, really, really wants you to believe and have life. John 3.16, again, one of the most famous verses ever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Again, John repeats these statements throughout his writings. We need to remember that we are not just here to learn a life lesson. We are also here to just behold the majesty and the glory of Christ. Again, this is an eyewitness account of events, not just a story or a fable. Second Peter 1.16 says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So what is a fable? A fable was just stories that people would tell to try to teach morals, right? Uh, these were what you would tell to your kids. Uh, it's like uh, the story of Icarus who flew too high and his wings melted, right? That is a false fairy tale, but they taught it to their kids to just try to teach some life lessons. This is not why we come to church. These are not just stories to learn from. We are to learn from the Bible, but they are not false stories. These are real events that happened. You see, sometimes we can come to church and we can be so caught up in trying to learn a lesson that we can take home and apply to our lives that we forget to look at the, just how amazing the things that Jesus did were. I mean, Jesus was showing here that he is not just a teacher. He's not just another rabbi. He is the son of God. He could turn water into wine. He has awesome power. Another thing to note before we move on about miracles. Now, this is where I'm going to make some people upset today. Maybe some people watching might get upset. But what is a miracle? What is a miracle? Well, if we look at today's definition of a miracle, it's very different than what a miracle is in the Bible. Uh, we a lot of times apply, apply the term miracle to things that are not really miracles. Uh, again, not with things that we think are amazing today are not miracles. But the definition that we have today for miracles is a highly improbable or extraordinary event, development, or accomplishment that brings, a very, that brings very welcome consequences. Wow. That is so watered down from what a miracle actually is. So people a lot of times talk about the miracle of childbirth. Sorry, childbirth is not a miracle. It is an amazing, wonderful thing, but it is not a miracle. Let's look at what a biblical miracle is. So a biblical miracle may be defined as the instantaneous demonstration of supernatural power overcoming or suspending natural law for the accomplishment of a divine 
purpose. That last part of that is what stops a lot of things today from being a miracle. The accomplishment of a divine purpose. Uh, what this divine purpose was, was usually to confirm the word of God. And so that was an essential part of what a miracle was. Uh, the person who wrote that was Albert Garner, uh, one, of the, one of the writers of a lot of our uh, literature. But it's a very good definition of what you see throughout the Bible. You see these things repeatedly throughout the Bible. Uh, overcoming or suspending natural law. That means that it can't just be something that's amazing. It has to be something that is impossible, okay? Childbirth, right, is not something that is impossible. Uh, it is an amazing, beautiful thing, but it's not impossible. Well, what is the purpose of miracles? The purpose of miracles. We talked about this divine purpose, right? Well, John 3, 2 says, and this is when Nicodemus is coming to Jesus. Uh, and Nicodemus was one of the, the Pharisees. He was one of the guys that, uh, part, of, part of the group that was going after Jesus. But he came to Jesus in secret and says uh, in verse 2, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So what does that say about the purpose of miracles? Well, it is so that people can know that someone is sent from God. And Jesus had an even more specific purpose when he was doing miracles. But we see this throughout the book of Acts. Uh, when the disciples were going out and performing miracles, it says these signs would follow them, Right? Uh, these signs were to show that these disciples were sent from God, okay? So that is a very important part. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, because they didn't have the Word at that time. They didn't have the New Testament. It wasn't written yet. So how were people supposed to know when they were traveling, uh, how were the places that they went to, how were those people supposed to know that they could trust what these men were saying? Well, they did amazing, impossible things to show that they were from God and to show that their word was trustworthy. That's the purpose of those miracles. These miracles have ceased. These miracles no longer happen today. You see, we call a lot of things miracles that today that are not miracles. I'm sorry, but when... You're watching the guys on TV that are doing the faith healing and stuff. They're fakes. They're fakes. They're doing it to get financial gain for the most part. I mean, obviously, they're, <laughs> they're usually very wealthy. They play at people's heartstrings and they, they show that, uh, oh, I can do these amazing things. And then the camera moves away before the person actually is healed. I was watching one of them. And uh, I can't remember what his name is right now, but uh, he was standing there at the front of his church and the camera's on this guy that's in a wheelchair. And the, the guy, the, the pastor goes up and says, oh, get up and walk. You can walk. And the, he pulls the guy up out of his wheelchair and the guy falls over. And he goes, oh, it's a miracle. He's OK. He's OK. It's a miracle. And the camera moves off to the other people and. The people are still all cheering, and I'm like, this guy's a total phony. 
Now they, they hide behind their, what they say is, oh, well, that person did not have enough faith to be healed. Well, if you look at through the Bible, it wasn't about the faith of the person. Those miracles were to show that the person doing the miracle was a person of God. So these miracles have ceased. Uh, so should we pray for healing for loved ones when they're sick? Absolutely. There is still divine healing today. God still does heal. But we do not see the type of miracles that are done in the Bible today. You don't see some follower of Christ going around and telling lame people to walk and having that happen. I'm sorry, but anybody that tells you that is lying or they are mistaken. I don't want to automatically assume the ill intent of people, so I say possibly they're mistaken. But these miracles have ceased. We, the Bible tells us that these miracles were going to cease uh, at the time. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, it says, this is the famous passage that uh, people say a lot of times at weddings about love, right? This is right after that. The point of the love passage is this right here. It says, love never fails, but where, whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. He's talking about their present time right then. They know in part, and they prophesy in part. They don't know the whole picture. But then here's the key verse, verse 10. It says, But when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. That thing there that it's talking about, a lot of people believe that that's the second coming of Christ. The perfect thing is the second coming of Christ. Well, I've never heard Christ referred to as a thing, but there is a perfect, complete thing that has come that we can rely on, that we no longer need some people to do some amazing things in order for us to believe them. And that's this book right here. We have the Word of God today. If there is someone that's not preaching the Word of God, then they are not from God. We don't need people to do amazing things in order to believe them. We could just check right here. This is the perfect thing that God gave us to be able to rely on what He has told us. So these miracles have ceased. So now... Now let's look at this passage and see the amazing things that Christ did. So we have, let's start understanding this passage now. So first, we have to look at the situation in which the miracle was to take place. This is verses 1 through 5 in John chapter 2. I'm going to go ahead and read it again, and then we'll dive in. It says, On the third day... There was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, 
the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. So, a lot of people like to think, oh, well, it says on the third day, and that's, that's obviously talking about the resurrection. It's not. Uh, the third day was a way for the Jews. They, they didn't say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They talked about the days of the week as numbers. And so the third day was a Tuesday. Starting on Sunday, it was a Tuesday. Now, why is that important? Well, Tuesdays were traditionally the day that they had weddings. Uh, that was the traditional wedding day uh, for Jews. Now, so what John is simply saying here is that uh, they had the wedding on the wedding day. So the, it, the wedding was on a Tuesday. Now, why did they have these weddings on Tuesdays? Well, if you look back in Genesis, uh, you don't have to turn there right now, but when you look at the days of creation, the third day is the day where uh, God says it is good twice. And so they had these weddings on Tuesdays because it's belie they believed that you got double the blessings if you had a wedding on a Tuesday. And so uh, that's because God said it is good twice that day. And so, uh, so it, John is simply saying that it was a Tuesday and they were at a wedding. Now, this wedding was likely for an important person. Uh, in some Bibles it says a governor, uh, some Bibles it says a master, right? Uh, this was likely an important person, but the person is not named here. In fact, if you look at this passage, the only person that is named is Jesus. So Jesus is at someone else's wedding, is at another important person's wedding, but the only person that's named in the passage is Jesus. So as important as those people were, they weren't even important enough to be named. Jesus is the only one that's named. The story is all about him. Now, when we look further into this section, uh, there's, a, there's kind of an interesting exchange between Jesus and his mother. Now again, Mary is not named here. It just says the mother of Jesus, right? Um, so it says, uh, in verse three, his mother comes up to him and says, they have no wine. Nudge, nudge, right? Uh, Jesus, they have no wine. What are you going to do about it? Well, Mary is trying to press upon Jesus to do something. Now there is something to note here. Jesus is a grown man. He's over 30, right? Uh, he is a rabbi at this point. So Jesus, in, in their status of that time, Jesus was above his mother. Therefore, it would have looked bad for Jesus to do the bidding of his mother. And so Jesus' response to her is kind of, he's kind of chiding her a little bit. He's kind of just saying, you know, he's like, what does this have to do with me? He goes, why are you telling me to do this? And he gives her a bit of an explanation. My hour has not yet come. So this tells us that this was not the right time for Jesus to reveal himself as the Messiah. 
Now, something else that's kind of funny here, so Jesus has just basically put down his mother for doing this, but she does not miss a step. She immediately just tells the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Because she knows something amazing is about to happen, even though Jesus just kind of put her down for saying that to him. So Jesus is responding to his mother. His mother doesn't miss a step. She knows what he is capable of. So Jesus does this in kind of, kind of in secret. Uh, the master does not know what Jesus did. So then, moving on, we see the actual miracle take place. The water to wine. Starting at verse 6, it says, Now there were six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. So these were huge, and there was a bunch of them. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim, and he said to them, Draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that, it w- that was made wine, uh, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. Now, you're, you're probably all sitting there waiting for me to say whether or not this was wine or grape juice. Uh, I'm not going to say that. It's not important to this passage. If you want to know what I think about that, ask me later. Um, but the point here, this was not a public miracle. Jesus does this at this event, and the master does not know what was done. Also, to note here, just as a little point, whether it be grape juice or wine, whatever Jesus provided was better than they had started off with. It's pretty amazing to think about. So if you think about them putting out their best of whatever it was, uh, their best wine at the beginning, uh, Jesus, what Jesus provided was better than that. should be a little bit of a lesson to us that whatever Jesus can provide for our lives is better than the best thing that we can provide for ourselves. Now let's look at Jesus' purpose for this miracle. We can see this in verse 11 and 12. This is why uh, for this passage, I don't really like diving too deep into the six water pots or the, you know, the fact that they were purification pots. The purpose of this miracle is totally laid out for us in these next two verses. We know exactly why Jesus did this. It says in verse 11, This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and he did not stay there many days. 
And so at the beginning, we kind of talked about uh, miracles have to have a divine purpose. And it begs the question, well, if Jesus did this miracle in secret, what divine purpose did that have? Well, Jesus did this for the disciples to believe. You see, the, the disciples were in on this. It says that his disciples believed in him after this. Well, if his disciples believed in him after this, well, why were they following him in the first place, right? Well, Jesus was a rabbi. He called them out to follow him. The disciples up to this point likely looked at him as maybe a little bit more than a teacher, someone to learn from. Oftentimes what we come to church for is looking at the Bible as just something to learn from. But what the disciples learned here, the belief that the disciples learned, is that Jesus is not just a teacher. And the reason why we should look at the Bible like this sometimes is Jesus is not just a teacher. Jesus showed them here that he is someone to be worshipped. Jesus manifested his glory here. This is the first miracle that Jesus did, and after which he would do a lot more. If you back up before chapter 2 and you look at Jesus' interaction with Nathanael, uh, Jesus tells Nathanael that he was going to show him many more great things. It's like, you think what you've seen yet now is amazing. Uh, wait till you, you ain't seen nothing yet, right? And then immediately after that passage, there you see this water to wine passage. And so Jesus is already doing amazing things. This is for the people that were already following him to believe that he was the son of God, that he was more than just a figure to learn from. So our application today, why do we come here? Why do we come here to church? As saved individuals, right? As disciples of Christ, why do we study the Bible? Is it just to learn how to live our lives? Or is it to see how Christ manifested his glory? Is it to look into the Bible and see the amazing things that he's done? Because that is the reason why John is writing these things, is to show how amazing it is, how amazing Christ is. Why, as saved individuals, do we sit and listen to the word preached? Why? Why, why are you here to listen to me talk about the word? Again, this is not just a book of stories. It's not just fables. It's not just life lessons for us to learn. Or a self-help book. You can get that anywhere else. This is not just to get some encouragement for life. If the Bible was an encouragement book, it would be the worst encouragement book. Jesus tells you that you're going to have hard times if you follow him. It's because when we hear about the amazing, wonderful things that Christ has done, it should cause us to worship. It should cause us 
to bow him to him and just bask in the amazing glory of Christ. A man who could turn water into wine just because he willed it. And indeed, listening to the gospel preach as a congregation gathered here is worship. You see, that there's that whole saying where two or more are gathered, right? Christ will be there. That's not about church. That's about church discipline. People use that verse to say, if I sit at home with my family and watch, t- watch church on TV, that's church. That's not church. Church is coming here together to worship Christ. And preaching is part of that. We don't just do this to learn about things to better ourselves. We do this to behold his glory. Now I want to have a song of invitation. Would you all please stand as the pianist and song leader come? You know, at the beginning, we talked about John saying that this was that you may believe and that in believing you may have life in his name. Well, Mark, uh, in, in the book of Mark, in chapter 2, verse 10 through 11, Jesus is healing a man that is lame. And he, said, he declares his purpose for doing miracles. You see, we talked about the miracles being proof that a man was sent from God, right? Well, Jesus did this for more than that. Jesus says in verse 10 of Mark chapter 2, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. So Jesus did it to show that he is the Son of God, and he has the power and authority to forgive sins. So if you're here today and you're not saved, or maybe you are listening online, you have to really dig deep and ask a question. As we go through these signs that the book of John, again, this is an eyewitness account. And when John wrote this, it was at the time of other eyewitnesses. People were alive to see these things happen. Which what that means is, is that anybody could have taken that and said, you're lying. But they didn't. There's thousands of manuscripts of the New Testament. A lot of books that we consider history don't even have that much. Don't, not even close. In the hundreds. The Bible is a reliable source. So you have to ask yourself a question this morning. If the Bible is a reliable source of history, and the person that it is speaking of, Jesus Christ, is really the Son of God, and he can do these miracles, are you going to believe in him and repent of your sin? That way he can forgive you? Or are you going to reject him? And the Bible says the price of that rejection is hell. I don't want you to go there. And John, the writer of this, does not want you to go there. He wants you to believe. 
Jesus wants you to believe in him and go to heaven. So make that choice this morning. The things that the Bible says are undeniable. And if they are undeniable, then the person that it speaks about really is the Son of God. Repent and believe in him this morning.